The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Well, Peter took the opportunity at Pentecost to quote the prophet Joel, that little book. And yet out of that little book comes some great, great messages. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and we're taking a journey through prophets, kings, and kingdoms uh, in the Old Testament. It did not take us too long to go through the kings and the kingdoms, but we're taking the prophets one at a time, and we're in the book of Joel. That doesn't mean we're looking at it overall. We're looking at the man as much as we know about him, not a lot about Joel, and his book. So, Alex, Joel, a man of God and a servant of God, but we don't know a lot about him, but that is a common name in the Old Testament. Someone said they counted 15 Joels in the Old Testament, but probably not a one of them was the author of this book. This is a separate author. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, um, it was his dad's name, uh, Pethuel. Pethuel, that's what it says. Yeah. Yes. You know, when I was um, trying to memorize the Old Testament books, you know, it, it sort of rolls off the tongue, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Did, did yeah. you ever memorize that line? That, of, those come easy, a lot better than Obadiah and uh, Habakkuk and others. <laughs> well, you know, I always thought, um, okay, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then Lamentations. You know, I've I somehow always, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, uh, well, Ezekiel, Daniel, then Hosea, Joel, Amos. They just kind of went together. And, you know, I'm glad that we're going through the prophets, kings, and kingdoms. And, you know, when we come to Joel, he is classified among the, what we call the minor prophets. Now, certainly not insignificant. When we say major and minor, doesn't mean that one is more important than the other, but really kind of refers to the length of the book. And Joel is not as long as some of the, the other prophets, you know. In fact, um, you know, we're going to get to Amos here in a, a, well, we might not get to Amos till the first of the week. I, I taught through the book of Amos at the Cove one time, and I've never taught through the three short chapters of Joel, but um, very significant, though not very lengthy. But you're right, you know, when um, Peter preached at Pentecost, he referenced Joel 2.28. And I think about this, if... Uh, Peter quoted Joel 2.28, uh, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, goodness, if if Pentecost was part of the last days, then maybe here in 2021 we might be in the last of the last days. <laughs> well said. One more thing I want to say about quoting from Joel, Peter and Paul, the two uh, you know, John is significant, two of the most significant apostles, but Paul would quote from Joel, chapter 2 of Joel, verse 32. Now, listen to this. See if this in sounds like 10, a Yeah, sounds like. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And so Joel made an impact upon Peter and Paul both, and I hope he'll make an impact on your life. He goes through the day of the Lord. Now, you're just talking about the last days, but the day of the Lord, and it seems he's talking about it uh, a time that is happening, a time that is imminent, and a time that will come to pass ultimately, Alex. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the one that he covers first in chapter 1, the day of the Lord, is a day that he says that the locusts have come. Now listen to verse 4, and I know you may want to go to 1, 2, and 3, but listen to verse 4, chapter uh, 1. What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming <laughs> locusts left, the crawling locusts has eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming <laughs> locusts has eaten. I'd ask, what in the world was left? Now, that was a day when the locusts would swarm and they would come into this agrarian culture that they had and they would eat up everything they had because it talks about it in verse 10. The field is wasted, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil is failing. Everything that their life depended upon was taken away physically there just about it, Alex. I know, that's true. And, you know, uh, Joel, the name Joel means Yahweh is God. And every now and then, uh, as a Hebrew name, a variation of this will be given. You know, it might be Yael or Joel uh, or Yael given to Jewish, you know, males as a name, but it means Yahweh is God. And there, there is in this book, you know, um, a lot of, like a lot of the prophets, disaster and judgment over sin. But Joel says, you know, you can repent and turn to God. And you mentioned that very famous verse, uh, Joel 2.38, that that Paul references in Romans 10.13, I'm sorry, Joel 2.32, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, you know, one of the verses, Bert, and I don't mean to be kind of morbid, but New Year's Eve is a dangerous night because people, some, not all, but some people go out and they drink and revelry. And I remember in New York City where they, you know, Times Square, they'll gather on New Year's Eve. And I don't know, this is a decade ago, but uh, someone was was drunk and fell from a balcony and died. And I thought about Joel 1.5, you know, it says, wake up, you drunkards and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine, wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. And I remember reading about the people on New Year's Eve that died in a state of intoxication, and I, I said to Angie, boy, I'd hate to meet the Lord like that, you know. But Joel warns about that. You know, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Listen, um, one of the themes of all the prophets, and Joel included, is when you meet the Lord, you want to meet the Lord prepared. You want to, whenever you leave this world and you face God, you want to be ready. And um, and uh, whether it's locusts that have destroyed, like in Joel 1.11, uh, or the nations in anguish, like Joel 2.6, uh, every face turns pale at the sight of the Lord. You want to meet the Lord prepared, and you can by calling on Jesus and being born again. And Bert, there's a lot that's written about judgment and the penalty of sin, but there's also a lot written about how the whole world can know the Lord. And friend, that's why we do this program, 
so you can call on Jesus and be saved, and however and whenever you enter into eternity, you'll be ready because you have Jesus. That is so true, and this judgment of the locusts and drought affects everyone. Uh, I mean, it, it just is widespread. The priests are affected because there's no offerings to be given. They haven't got anything. The farmers are affected. And what you said about the drunkards, I know it said that, but it says the drunkards will have no relief because there's no wine or new wine. You know, they're going to have mm-hmm. withdrawals for sure, but it affects everyone. So what does God tell us to do about it in verse 14 or tell them, but also tell us? Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Now, Alex, God is saying, even in the midst of this judgment, I want to hear from you. And if I hear from you, uh, the lament that he gives is from 15 to 18. But the prayer that, that Joel makes is in chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And it is immediate for what they're going through at this time. But notice that, consecrate a fast, the only day of fast that was demanded in the Old Testament. Now, people made other things, the Pharisees and others joined in and made more, but the only one that's talked about is the Day of Atonement. But mm-hmm. a priest could call a, a, for a fast at any time under dire circumstance. And this is God speaking, and Joel say, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly gather the elders, and then that next line, but all the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because this judgment affected everyone because everyone was involved in bringing the judgment on, Alex. And so call that sacred assembly. There's a time for that. There's a time for the church, for the people of God, as well as in that day, to say we need to have a time of of coming to God And notice the last line there, crying out to him, not just in prayer, but crying out. Do you catch the the, the urgency of that? Well, the desperation, you know. And um, gird yourselves with sackcloth, lament, O priest, wail, O ministers of the altar, come, spend the night in sackcloths. So there's this, like you say, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Um, You know, back before the election, there was a, quote, solemn assembly. And, you know, Bert, did you go to the Promise Keepers gathering in Washington? I'm going to say it was maybe back about nine, 1997, I didn't go to D.C. I went to Atlanta and Memphis, but I didn't make it to D.C. You watch not there a million men there, they think? Yeah, and I was there and uh, okay. prayed with people. Oh, but they called it a solemn assembly. And when you gather to pray and, and it's just desperation to call out to God— that's that's a good thing. I mean, it's unfortunate sometimes when people and nations get in such a dire state, but when there's a solemn assembly and leaders and everybody gathers to pray, that's a worthwhile thing. And Joel one fourteen references a solemn assembly back in that day. You know, Joel has so many famous uh, verses and, you know, uh, things that we we think about. And you know one of the one of the things is uh, tear your heart and not your garment. Um, now I want to come back to something that's in the New Testament about that. But don't you think that that's a a, a vivid imagery? You know when Joel talks about rend or or rip, Joel two thirteen. 
Tear your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. That's Joel 2.13. Um, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, Joel 2.12. Bert, it's one thing to outwardly say, you know, Lord, have mercy. But when the heart is torn or contrite or the heart is broken before God, I think that's when the Lord can really begin to work. It is, Alex. And again, chapter 2 moves into something that is going to happen. It seems like chapter 1 is something that has and is happening. Chapter 2 is talking about what will happen, and you better get right when, now. When do you get ready for the future, Alex? Uh, Well, JFK, John F. Kennedy, I love this quote. He said, the time to fix the roof is while the sun is still shining. (laughs) That's exactly right. So chapter 2, real quickly, to get to rend your heart, before he says rend your heart, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, first, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. For Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. It's coming. And so the first thing you do, blow the trumpet, and then you gather together, and you do what he says. As you just said, turn to me with all your heart, not part of your heart, saying, okay, I'll give you a little, but everything. Fasting, weeping, with mourning, rend your heart, not your garments. Alex, it reminds me of the uncircumcised heart. That's the picture you get. You catch Mm. what I'm saying? This is a great word picture. Rend your heart, not your garments. It's the time to get right with God. It was then. Guess what? It is now. Alex and I will be right back right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Matthew Borman, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Export Administration. His office works on the export of items for national security, foreign policy, and nonproliferation. Psalm 4.8 reminds us of the peace and safety of the Lord. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God. We ask for guidance for Matthew Borman as he works on behalf of national security for our country. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says even though God's Word is sharp enough to do surgery on our souls, some of us keep choosing options that are less invasive and less effective. He'll explain why as we spend two minutes with Tony. If your life is falling apart, you're in personal distress, then my responsibility, a leader's responsibility, even another believer's responsibility, is to take the Word, show you what God says about whatever you're dealing with, then give you practical steps to apply what God said, then ask the Holy Spirit to take your practical steps of obedience based on what God said to bring change in your life. If you came to me with your family and your family's falling apart, I'm supposed to take the word, 
give you practical steps to implement what God said about what you're dealing with. Then ask the Holy Spirit to take your obedience to what God says and bring about change in your home. What happens if your nation is falling apart? You don't change books. They use this book for some things. They use human understanding for other things. They use popular opinion for other things and they wind up living in distress. They have to have all these long meetings to try to come up with solutions. But no, you don't change books. You show them what God says about what's wrong in the nation. You give them practical steps to implement what God says in the nation. You ask the Holy Spirit to take their obedience and to bring about change in the nation because God knows how to do that when folks pay attention to what he says and begin to implement that. Learn how much better life can be when we live it by the book. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You got Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bird here. So glad you're listening. We are in the book of Joel, the Old Testament minor prophet of Joel. We're in chapter 2. And, you know, Bert, um, by the way, we're going to take calls here in just a little bit. We'll get to your Bible questions. Then that number, you might want to write it down. And if you've got a Bible question, hey, if you've never called, call us. We'd love to hear from you. First-time callers with a Bible question. Uh, today's your day. It's 888-589-8840. But, Bert, you know, before the break, we were talking about tear your heart, not your garment. It's interesting. Joel 2.13, uh, many translations will uh, do it. Rend your heart, R-E-N-D. You know, I looked up that word. Did, did you do a word study on that word, Bert? I did not. Go ahead. I want to hear it. Well, you know, obviously, you know, to be broken or contrite, uh, but the word really means slander, slander your own heart. Now, what could that mean? I think it means to come before God and say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord, I've, I'm backslidden. I've grown cold. You, you've called and I've wandered. Lord, I admit I need you. God, forgive me. I stand before you guilty, and Lord, I need cleansing. And sometimes, you know... If, if, if we accuse our heart before God, we'll admit that we need to return to the Lord. And so this for a lot of people, this might be a little bit of a hard thing to get your mind around, but it's literally saying slander your own heart, admit your guilt, and return to God. And notice what he says. This is interesting. The words he uses, turn to me in verse 12, and then in 13, return to the Lord your God. And again, this is an invitation. He is gracious. He is merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness. He relents from doing harm. Now, if you jump down to verses 15 and 16, it looks like this is a repeat of verse 14 in chapter 1. But again, we're talking about Joel, who was prophesying immediately in chapter 1. 
in the imminent, something that was going to happen relatively soon in chapter 2. And notice how you respond, Alex. The same response is, blow the trumpet of Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. That is what they're to do, and they're to share with one another. Isn't that amazing? In that which is going on right now, but that which is preparing them for, you get right with God. You turn to him. You return to him. You you do what is necessary. Guess what? That's what God wants you to do. That's mm-hmm. what God desires for us to do during these times when this is pain that's coming. Now, in chapter 1, it was a drought. It was a locust. In chapter 2, it's an army. Look, if you would, in verse 11, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. And there's an army that's going to invade them. They look like the locusts. There's so many of them. So here this is coming, this imminent thing, but you still, in other words, the mercy of God is real uh, in chapter 1. The same mercy is available in chapter 2. Consecrating yourself to the Lord is what you do then. It's what they did then and now. And Alex, so this whole idea is getting right with God in this judgment, getting right with God is a priority. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, there's hope. When you do that, there's deliverance. When you do what God desires, it gives you the courage to continue on. And so here, I I love what Joel is doing. He says, listen, he doesn't change uh, you know, what you do in under certain circumstance? No. In all these circumstances, whether it's an army, a drought, or locusts, what do you do? You turn to the Lord. Amen. Well, well you really do. And, and by the way, let me just say this. We've quoted Joel 2 a lot on this show over the years. Verse 20 is really interesting in Joel chapter 2. Uh, there's this northern army. Now, a couple of weeks ago when Jim Stanley and I were on, we we were talking about Ezekiel 38 and 39 and um, Israel being uh, invaded from Russia and China probably in the last days. And I don't want to get us off on eschatology too much, and especially parts of end-time events that might be a little bit um, ambiguous and hard to understand, but you know, biblical scholars for, for centuries, really, have believed a few things, that in the last days, Israel would be regathered and reborn as a nation. We've seen that happen. Biblical scholars from the Reformers, you know, the, the Wesleys and Calvin and Luther, believe somehow, some way, uh, in the last days, Israel would probably be invaded um, by China, by Russia, so here's the thing, after, you know, in the last days I will pour my spirit out on all flesh, okay, Pentecost happened, the church was born, Peter preached, verse 20, but I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land. Well, it's taking it for granted that there is this northern army that's come in, and uh, ultimately after Israel is... Uh, well, well, Christ returns, and uh, Israel is spared. They look on him who they pierced. Uh, this is in Zechariah 13 and 14, and they will mourn. But Christ returns, 
the minions of the Antichrist are vanquished, and there's going to be a thousand years of peace on earth. Uh, And it's amazing how, in just a matter of verses, a couple of thousand years of human history are really summarized. But verse 25, Then I will make up to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You remember back in chapter 1, I think it might have been verse 17, um, talking about the seeds shriveling and the locust eating, you know, anything that the, the famine and the, the drought didn't get, the locust would. Well, God says, I'm going to restore the years that the locust has eaten. And then you will know, verse 27, that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. Now, Bert, there's a lot we could say. There's a lot we know and much we don't, but we know God is faithful. And there's a restoration coming, not only of Israel, but of the whole wide world. And you can be a part of that restoration because you can know the Savior. And so uh, God knows these future events, doesn't he? And it's going to be bad, but ultimately it's going to turn out good. Again, the day of the Lord, uh, there's that immediate one, and that was the locust. It was a day of judgment, but during that judgment, God is calling this out. Uh, the northern army, Alex, there was, a. I think what you have is a preview of that. This is my thoughts on it, and you mm-hmm. disagree. But the northern army, Assyria, coming in in 722 and demolishing them and taking them and, you know, just basically intermarrying, doing away with the northern kingdom. And then that was a preview of what's going to happen, as you said, in eschatology, in time to come, the northern army coming in and the terrible day of the Lord. And uh, even the valley of, of, you know, is talked about, Jehoshaphat, and it's the yes. only time that is ever used, but most scholars think it's talking about Armageddon in that same valley where so many things. But again, you had the—this is what you get a lot in the Old Testament— you get a preview of something that's happening right now, and the prophet will take it to tell you what's ultimately going to happen, what will. Now, some of them are just ultimate. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That wasn't any time during that period of time. That was always in the future, the Lord Jesus. But this northern army from Assyria coming down in 722, basically wiping them out in judgment. And again, what's going to happen, the northern army, as we look at eschatology, the, the probably, again, as you said, Russia and the confederation of whatever it might be coming in. And again, this is it. Notice what took place here. I can't help but notice it is talking about what took place in chapter 1, which is talking about the locusts. It's talking about the drought that was taking place then. And then, as you said, the restoration that God takes, there's periods of restoration. Okay, Uh, Israel going back was a period of restoration, but there's going to be the ultimate restoration when God says it and it's going to happen to all. And uh, Alex, as you said in chapter uh, two, verse 28, about my spirit being poured out in the last days that was talking about Pentecost. I would say we're in the latter of the latter days. And notice Mm -hmm. what it says in verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Notice he puts these descriptive words there before it's just the day of the Lord, but it seems like the judgment is waxing 
more severe and more severe. The locust was bad. The drought was bad. But the army coming in is going to des- desolate it. And then what's going to happen in the future, they're going to do it, but God's going to intervene, and we have that hope. But do you see we, the escalation yeah. of the day of the Lord? And, you know, you referenced the fact that uh, for many of these prophecies, you know, Isaiah seven fourteen was like this, and this is like this, that there was a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. Uh, during the time of the divided kingdom in the Assyrian army, that was the near fulfillment. Uh, the stench in Joel 2, uh, 20, the stench and the foul smell. Well, you know, many have thought that the distant fulfillment was um, like in Revelation 14, where, um, well, the Battle of Armageddon, where the blood reaches the horse's bridles and it takes seven months to bury all the dead. You know, that's a distant fulfillment and there'll be a stench throughout the land, which in a way, by the way, a lot of the battles and the plagues of Revelation are like the plagues that Egypt suffered, you know, and the stench in the land. Um, well, Joel the prophet talks about a future time like that as well. Uh, but people know that God is God. Well, chapter 3. Alex, let me make one comment and then go to okay. chapter 3. Notice what happens in 31 and 32. Even though it's the great and terrible day of the Lord, Right. It shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the midst of this judgment, God's mercy is real. But I just, Amen. right there, it just, what a contrast, verse 31 and 32. They're really not a contrast in a way. It's God showing his, his holiness and his mercy. Right there you see it. But I want to make that before you went to chapter 3. Go ahead, And that's brother. beautiful. And you know verse 32, whoever calls on the name of the Lord... We often say saved because, you know, Romans ten thirteen renders it that way. But really the word is delivered. Yeah. And, and in the context of the great and terrible day of the Lord, there's deliverance from the wrath of the Lamb. You know, there's deliverance from this. And, and the word is escaped. There will be those who escape to Mount Zion. And the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. It's interesting, the ones who call on the Lord were called by the Lord. Amen. And and not to spiritualize it too much, but where is the where is the escape and the deliverance? Mount Zion. Well, the mountains of Zion where the city of God is, Jerusalem. But there's among that mountain range, the mountains of Moriah, there's one that's known as Calvary. Golgotha, the place of the skull. And Bert, I don't want to spiritualize too much. But God is inviting you to flee to the mountain of safety. Amen. And that, that mountain of safety and deliverance and salvation is the mountain where the Son of God paid your sin debt, and you can be delivered and saved by calling on the name of the Lord. Bert, I, I know we, we often, you and I both, because we've both got the heart of an evangelist, we're always talking about the gospel. But friend, do you see the beauty of this story? Do you see the amazing panorama of God, you know, locusts and plagues and famine and fires and armies and pestilence and judgment. But even though sin, the sin of the world, the sin of Israel, our own personal sins, have invoked the judgment of God, and rightly so, there is this beautiful, beautiful invitation always in front of us. Turn to Christ, and you can be saved. 
And ultimately, after judgment comes restoration. I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. And of course, Billy Graham would famously preach, you know, millions, millions in the valley of decision. And today might be the day that you need to solidify your decision to trust the Lord. Uh, There's so much beautiful imagery here about the sickle being thrust in, the harvest is ripe, the wine press. By, um, you know, the Battle Hymn of the Republic references Joel 3.13. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And, of course, verse 14 of chapter 3 is Billy Graham's famous text. Valley of decision. Alex, yeah, turn now, to the Lord. Yeah, notice what happens. I've got, not got a lot of time. The complete restoration is 16 through 21. You was yes. talking about Calvary, Zion. Just listen to how many times he mentions it here in this last segment. Verse 16, the Lord also will roar from Zion. Verse 17, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy. And then if you would look at the last line in verse 21, the Lord dwells in Zion. God. Amen. Calvary, God stands, that cross is there where the redemption of the world was paid and the empty tomb shows the victorious conqueror over sin and death is none other than Jesus Christ. So Joel, I would say the gospel of Joel, Alex, you catch what I'm saying? Even in the judgment, there's that. And you said it, we said saved, the deliverance. I pray you're looking for the Lord, that he can deliver you from your sin, from your addiction, from your fear. He is the great deliverer, and that's what Joel is all about. Hey, Alex, we're going to take phone calls in this last segment. It's 888-589-8840-888-589-8840. We'd love to hear from some first-time callers. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support. Parents across America are being demonized for questioning school boards about the curriculum being taught their kids. Moms and dads have become the enemy and are expected to take a back seat in child rearing because the state knows best. We've forgotten that God has given parents, not the education system, the primary responsibility to raise children. If this kind of tyranny ever comes to our community, I hope we'll stand up for what's right. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. These words were shared between Cleopas and his companion on the seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus as Jesus, in resurrected form, used the Hebrew scriptures to reveal himself to them as the Messiah. There are at least 109 distinct biblical prophecies the Messiah had to fulfill. The mathematical probability of such a feat occurring is astoundingly absurd, 
yet that absurdity is satisfied in Jesus, the Messiah. Come, let us adore Him. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. For more, from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 24, verse 38, Jesus asked, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Michelle and I love to travel. Sometimes we plan trips to locations that are east of us, and sometimes we go to locations that are west of us. But we've never been able to travel east and west at the same time. If we did, we'd never get anywhere. We'd be unable to move, paralyzed. Well, doubting God is like trying to go east and west at the same time. You get paralyzed that way. When you're struggling or hurting, when you don't know what to think, when you've got real unanswered questions, bring your doubts and questions to Jesus. He already knows your doubts. He won't condemn you for your questions. And He Himself is your greatest answer. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong. So the helpless has hope and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What an appropriate song to bring us back after we've talked about Joel and then the gospel being presented that Zion in Jesus Christ, Christ would pay the price. Praise the Lord. We're, we've got lines open. That number is 888-589-8840. We would love to hear from you today, your Bible question, and we would just love to hear. But while we're waiting, I'll do this real quickly. The Orange Letter Campaign from October yes. the 25th to November the 5th, Engage Magazine, which is a ministry here of AFA, AFR, and they write letters to missionaries who are working in very difficult places, mostly with believers that are are being persecuted. And you can be a part of that by going to engagemagazine.net. You can write a letter, 200 words or less, and it will be delivered to them. And uh, you, this has been done for five years. We've written letters to Egypt, Syria, North Korea, Nigeria, but now we're doing it in many places. We're teaming up with Global Outreach International, and those letters will be delivered. So go to engagemagazine.net and write that letter today. Alex, it's a great ministry. We want to pray. You remember what Paul said? He said, you know, it's if the body, if one part of the body is hurt, all the body hurts. Guess oh, what? Man. It's not persecuted church. It's the church and with their being persecuted, we are as well. So we stand with them, and we want to encourage them and especially encourage those missionaries that are there in very difficult and even dangerous places. Do you remember in Colossians 4.18 where Paul said, Remember my chains? Yes. You know? Yeah. And he asked for prayer. We, we need to really remember the, the situation of other brothers and sisters around the world because— uh, 
you know, compared to the rest of the world, we've got it pretty good. And so those of us who are free and blessed, we can certainly intercede and encourage those Christians who, who aren't. We are. Well, we want to go to the phone lines, and we've got Katie from Michigan on. Katie, welcome. Hi, both of you. We listen to you every evening while I'm making supper, actually, for my family. And I just oh. want to call, and this is the first time I've called. Um, well, but I'm asking for prayer uh, for my health. We had a little guy come and stay with us. We do foster care about a year ago. And, and about three months later, I, my health kind of started to decline. I am improving, but I kind of wonder if maybe it's a spiritual attack as well. Um, we're so close to adopting this little guy right now, and <laughs> we're just really trying to get through through it. But I just ask for prayer. Amen. Listen, sure. this is a big nationwide Bible study, and in Bible study we have prayer time. And right now, would you write down the name Katie from Michigan, praying for her health, praying for that to happen if Satan is coming against them concerning this adoption uh, that they have in foster care, that we that we stand with her, stand in strength with her against Satan. Alex, would you mind praying for Katie? Uh, yeah, I want to pray for Katie. And by the way, uh, November 20 and 21, I will be at Banner Church in Flint, Michigan. B-A-N-N-E-R, Banner Church, Flint, Michigan, uh, November 20 and 21. So if you're up in Michigan, folks, I would love to see you when I come to your wonderful state. Uh, may we pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we lift up this prayer request. We pray for health. Lord, bless this family uh, doing foster care and maybe even adoption. And so we pray for complete health and healing. If there's any spiritual battle going on in the name of Jesus, we, we stand against that and we ask for your will to be done. And, Lord, uh, for complete healing and blessing in this regard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Let's go to Texas and talk to Regina. Regina, welcome. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I hear you every day. I commute uh, from my work to my, my house. So, anyway, uh, it's a blessing. Well, thank my you. My question Amen. is about uh, in Matthew 7, specifically Matthew seven twenty three, when he says, uh, Depart from me, I do not know you. Uh, is he talking to saved people or unsaved? And if he's talking to unsaved people, that means they will. Okay, Some Regina. Yeah. Thank you for the call. Listen to what it completely says. He didn't say, I, I don't know you. He said, I never knew you. At no point in time was there this salvation relationship. I never knew you. And the emphatic in the Greek is I never knew at any time. Alex, uh, they can act like it, like Judas's chariot. They can be like possibly Demas. Uh, there's those that just, they were there. Uh, they It said about Judas's chariot, and I know you've heard it as well, the man who kissed the door to heaven and yet went to hell. That that's how close people can be, but if they can act like it and everybody else think they are, but only Jesus is the one that knows for sure, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that um, they may be intending to deal with the Lord someday, and they say, you know, I'm going to get around to that. I know I need to do that. Goodness, none of us know the moment of our death. I mean, we don't. And I, I again, I'm not trying to be morbid here, 
But the wisest thing you can do is to face your own mortality. Bert, I, I think when it comes to death and eternity, uh, many people push it out of their mind because they it, it's unpleasant to think about or something like that. But that is the, the most significant, wisest thing you'll ever do is to say, look, we're not going to live forever. And, you know, Bert, this morning I, w- I saw the, the obituaries in the newspaper, and there was a young person in their 20s who had died and didn't say how this young lady died, but death comes to children, teenagers, young adults, grown-ups. Um, don't wait. Turn to Christ while you have an opportunity. And today, if you're hearing our voice, you have that opportunity. That's why we have a, a partner ministry uh, 1-800-NEED-HIM. That's it. Uh, yes. N-E-E-D, need him. Look, no strings attached. No, there's no, nobody's trying to sell you something. But if you need to talk about what it means to be born again, call 1-800-NEED-HIM, and you can speak with somebody and make sure that you have Christ and you're born again. And whenever you leave this world, uh, you're ready. Real quickly, Regina, the other was, the, these people, did they do miracles? In other words, if they never knew God, did they do miracles? At least they were participating in it. In that time, notice how Jesus had sent them out in wood. He had sent them out two by two. That means Judas's chariot was with someone. Now, whether Judas participated in the miracles or what, we, but he was there. And uh, Satan can use a lot of things to... Uh, uh, let me say, for every real thing God has, Satan has a counterfeit, doesn't it? Let's not spend a lot of time there because we've got yeah. a lot of callers. But everything that God has that's good, Satan has a counterfeit, doesn't he? He's a mimic. He's he's a pretender, isn't he? He is. Uh, Regina, hope that helps you. Let's go to North Carolina and talk to Sandra. Sandra, welcome. Um, yes, I would like for you all to pray for the situation that happened at a Kentucky school recently. Um, a lot of male students was given lap dances to um, teachers, male teachers, and also female students was doing. Okay, it yeah, I, we heard about that. I I saw it on the air, and this is what's taking place. I took this call because I want us to be praying. A lot of things are going on in the schools today, the public schools especially, and it is not all good. But great parents are stepping up, and we. As godly people, we need to have that biblical worldview and pray that those uh, school boards would change and that Christians would step up and let their voice be heard while it can. And so we're making that a matter of prayer. Alex, let me lead us in prayer in that one before we yes. go. Father, I pray, God, that this school in Kentucky, that they would see the sin in that, that they would see the harshness of that and Father, I pray that we would have clarity of what is right about evil and what is wrong. And I, was, I just started reading a book by Donald J. Barnhouse, Gray Barnhouse, Father, how he was talking about evil and right and good. And the battle continues today, and may we stand on the biblical worldview of good. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sandra. Next, we want to go to... Mike, and Mike is calling from, well, I, I thought I clicked it. There it is. Mike from Virginia. Welcome, Mike. Hi, how are you? Doing good. So I just had a question. Um, 
I think I've been a little bit lax in my faith um, over the last few years, and um, I've been really urgent to get back towards it. But um, I've read over um, in my study of Revelation a few times, and it, it's a confusing uh, book of the Bible, um, at least to me. Uh, and I'm just curious, as far as uh, when somebody re- receives the mark of the beast, um, is that necessarily uh, after the coming of the Antichrist, or can it be before, or is it is it ever specified? Mike, thanks for your call. Mm-hmm. Alex, in the book of Revelation, it is after, and they do receive it. Is it forced, or is it volunteer? Let me ask you that. Well, you know, people voluntarily take it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think that... Because, see, the outward mark of the beast is a reflective of the inward state of the heart, you know? But, but I will say this, you know, there are scriptures that tell, like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that talk about a strong delusion so that people believe a lie. Um, a lot of speculation has been uh, talked about regarding those that miss the rapture and are left behind, and uh, will they get saved? The thing is, while it might be later down the road that the mark of the beast is accepted, posturing your outlook and your heart to be willing to do that, I mean, right now, uh, turn to Christ if you haven't already, because while somebody may not have outwardly taken the mark of the beast at this point, the inclination of the heart away from God and toward the things of the world might be taking place even right now. Amen. So you, you, you know what I mean? You get so, right now, don't you? You do it yeah. now. Don't delay. Yeah, because the you that you will be tomorrow is being shaped by the decisions you make right now today. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we want to go to Mississippi and talk to Junior. Junior, welcome. Hey, fellas. Yeah, welcome, brother. I've been all day long. The Lord's blessing. I get to work for myself, so I get to listen to FAFR all day long, and I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, many of the other ones helped me all day, and uh, even at night I'll keep it on the music, uh, 91.7. I know the demons can't stand that Jesus music, so I'll keep it up. <laughs> Amen, and, uh, Junior. Thank Amen. You. Thank you, Lord. Uh, my question is I'm wondering, I know Satan, the accuser, uh, come to the Lord and said that Job is a mess. And, uh, so what about Satan coming into the Lord's presence and being the accuser, and how does he have that right? I know that sin can keep our prayers from being heard. Satan is full of evil and the number one sinner. How does he have that right? Okay, Junior, thank you. Good question. And it's basically talking about Job. Alex, it was God that called Satan in to give an account. It's called accountability. Satan has yeah. limits even now. As he yeah. had limits concerning what he could do to Job, he has limits of what he can do now. And that audience before God, however it works, he's still accountable. And there will be ultimate accountability one day, won't there be? Exactly. And let me just say this. The devil has no power. You know, um, in uh, John 18, when Christ is before Pilate, 
Jesus says you would have no power unless the Father allowed you to have it. Satan has no power except what God permits. And, you know, whether it's um, Satan is within, as I heard an old country preacher say, shouting distance of heaven, or if maybe Zoom, you know, God just calls him and demands that he appear and give an account. Uh, let me tell you, uh, God has total authority, and, um, you know, even in persecuting Job, and Job went through 17 types of trials, they in that whole time, God was in control, and God allowed it. Uh, God um, never is Satan beyond God's control. And so that's encouragement to us now. And I want to say whatever we might be going through, financial, health-wise, what our nation is going through, listen, the Lord is on his throne, and we turn to God, and we trust in him, and we call on him. We really don't have time to get to the next calls, but Patty from Alabama wanted to talk about a reference book about Josephus. I, 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 Alex, does that ring a bell, a reference book uh, about Josephus who kept the, you know, that uh, history um, well, during that period of time? Yeah, you know, Antiquities of the Jews by Josephus. The great Josephus scholar is Louis Feldman. He recently passed away. My friend Michael Lycona knew Louis Feldman. Louis Feldman was the greatest Josephus scholar and by the way, he did affirm that the passages regarding Jesus were authentic to Josephus. But um, I would encourage you to read. There are many translations in English of Josephus's writings. But um, if you look for the name Louis Fellman, he was a great commentator on Josephus the historian. That would be F-E-L-L-M-A-N? Um, I think it was F-E-L-D-M-A-N, like okay. Feldman. 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 Okay. Patty, we hope that helped you. We just run short of time, and uh, we would love to have. I uh, hope that gives you that answer you were looking for. Well, Alex, it's been good to go through Joel. It's awesome. And you said it's Hosea, Joel, and Amos. They kind of go yeah. together. So Monday, we'll do, be doing Amos. Isn't that right? But tomorrow, Fire Away Friday, right, Bert? That's exactly right. So get your questions ready and have that phone number ready. And we will get yep. that question and hear and hopefully have the good answers. Hey, Alex, it's been good to be with you. Let's tell everybody about Jesus. <laughs>